Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today on the podcast, I'm really excited and encouraged, actually, that I've managed to persuade someone called Vanessa to come on the podcast today to talk about her experience. So thanks very much, Vanessa, for coming today. Not at all. As I said to you before, if there's somebody listening that I can help, I'm absolutely delighted. Yes. So, well, this podcast probably comes with a tissue alert, but um, I'm sure you will help people. And as many of you who've listened to my podcast or listened to some of my work before know that I'm very keen and very committed to helping as many women as possible. But when it comes to mental health and the perimenopause and menopause, it's really key and it's very high up in my agenda because I'm very struck with the stories of how women's mental health can often deteriorate when hormone levels reduce. And that can start quite early, actually, after the birth of a baby, when hormone levels decline very quickly, when women have PMS, and then perimenopause and the menopause. And some of us term it as reproductive depression. So it's just the way our brains respond to changing hormone levels. And We have receptors for estrogen and testosterone and progesterone in our brains. And there's a reason that they're there because they help with the way the nerves work, the way our brain works, the way even our brain metabolizes and thinks and does all the amazing thing our brains do. And for some women, not all, some women really struggle without their hormones. And I see a lot of women in my clinic who have been given antidepressants, sometimes because they're clinically depressed. But often no one's really thought about hormones as well. And we know that mental health can deteriorate. We know that incidence of depression increases in the 40s. We also know that suicide rates increase in the 40s as well. And we're funding a PhD student with Liverpool University to look into this more but some of the stories are very harrowing and so I've known Vanessa for a little while and her story has been harrowing but it has a happy ending otherwise we wouldn't be talking here today but it's quite a long story Vanessa so I don't know if you mind just sort of going back a bit and talking about what's been happening to you before we met. Ah yes okay I'll try. Yes I obviously suffered with PMS a long time ago and then after my third child I found I was struggling even more. I then went on to have my fourth child and after the birth had the most incredible drop. And I wasn't quite sure what was happening. I thought it was just having a baby. You know, I just thought it was normal. Anyway, I deteriorated further. I just couldn't go out of my room. I could care for my baby, but I was just completely lost myself. So I went to my GP. I was really basically told that I was making a fuss. You know, everyone copes with having a baby. It's just completely normal. Basically, pull yourself together. I then came away from there. And I think I believed her for a while because we look up to our doctors and, you know, rely on them. And then I just went further down and down. And I then had my first suicide attempt. 
thankfully, my husband realised something wasn't right and came to find me. He then took me to the doctor the next day and was quite insistent something was wrong. I was then referred to a psychiatrist that day. We have private medical care through my husband's work. So I was able to see a doctor within a few days. So I went along and I could see from his face that he thought I was very bad. He then spoke to my husband separately and explained to him what was happening. And I think it was about the 23rd of December, it's just before Christmas. Mm. And then I went off, came home, went to bed and just was completely blank. So I then started medication and I've tried so many different medications over the years, but it's been a long time. That was, well, my son's going to be 18 next week. So it's 18 years that I've had medication. It's the side effects. I've had treatment at the hospital. I've been in hospital for a, a period of time. And I just tried to look after my children and just could not do anything else. So, you know, I've obviously got that tendency to have depression. And I eventually read a report saying I had severe depression. And through my history with my GP, I would have thought it was quite obvious that this was hormone related. Mm. But at the time, I was quite sick. So I didn't realise what was happening. And did any of the psychiatrists talk to you about potential of hormones at all, Vanessa? No, no, not at all. And... Over a period of time, I've told you, you know, I did see a professor at a, a leading hospital, but still got everywhere, anywhere. And I did talk to him about, it's the only thing I remember asking him was, is it hormones? Could it be related to the mm. trouble I've had in the past? And it was just a blank no. Did they give any reason why not? Or was it just... No, just seemed to think it was depression. You yeah. know, it's genetic. It's the way, at the time, I was probably... Uh, you just take what they think. Well, of course you do. And I, I think it's it is very different. And I am absolutely not being rude about psychiatrists on this podcast at all because they have such an important role with mental health. Of course they do. And, you know, you, I'm sure, were clinically depressed, but it's about what's causing the clinical depression and what might be contributing to it. And this is where we need to do more research because there are certainly women who are feeling a bit low and they're menopausal or there are people who are severely clinically depressed but they're also menopausal or perimenopausal or have hormonal changes and you know the treatment is absolutely antidepressants can be very very useful but we do know that antidepressants work better in an estrogenized woman that means a woman who's menstruating regularly producing good levels of estrogen from her ovaries or a woman who takes hrt and this is something it's been well documented in papers but it's something that's not really spoken about and certainly the work we're doing with the Royal College of Psychiatrists, psychiatrists often don't know about it. So if you don't know it, obviously you, you haven't got that understanding, but actually it does have this effect in our brain and the oestrogen can improve serotonin and it can work synergistically with the antidepressants. And, you know, it's very interesting that your almost your senses were saying to you, could this be my hormones? And I hear that a lot 
from women. There's a whole narrative about women not being heard, about not just menopause, in any of their symptoms, that they don't fit into a box. But often the diagnosis is in the history, 90% of it. Just listen to your patients. And when I trained in the 80s, we didn't have the luxury of doing as many scans and MRI scans, CT scans. They were so expensive and so scarce we had to use our diagnostic skills so much more than we do now. And so just listening to patients is number one for being a healthcare professional. So often women know when it's their hormones. Don't I think some of us are quite tuned into our hormones and we often have this, it's very hard to explain, isn't it? But I think you do know. And I think, you know, you've had four pregnancies. In your pregnancies, you would have had very high levels of hormones and I presume you felt better in your pregnancies than postpartum oh yes absolutely but I think as women as you say we're so aware of our cycle and hormones is very much in our minds but at the time I was you know obviously very sick and despite asking there just didn't seem to be a link between the doctors I was seeing and the menopause or you know any sort of hormonal health and as I went on it just seemed more and more obvious and then in my 40s when I dropped even further I mean there were many many years I just didn't want to be here you know just wanted to die which is very scary for you but also your family as well yes my husband is amazing amazing Mm. and he's kept a very close eye on me you know and we've just tried to look after our children but I mean, I don't mean to sound sexist in any way, but with being a woman, we're all so aware. And I think it might be, it's difficult for men to understand. We feel it in our bodies. Mm. Mm. And maybe, you know, me too, I don't want to criticise psychiatrists in any way. I think what I would like to do, if anyone's listening today, that, you know, keep asking questions and also just almost see, I mean, it's terrible to say, but if you could see a female psychiatrist, it may be something that might be helpful. But I think it's education. I just think if the psychiatrists are a bit more aware of this possible link, Mm. it may be helpful. I totally agree. Education is really, really important. And some of you might know we've actually just written an education module. It's the first one on the menopause for the Royal College of Psychiatrists. And they've actually agreed it's going to be free. So they're putting the funding for it to be enabled that any psychiatrist can access it for free without paying for it, which is phenomenal. And actually, we're going to do a part two as well. And we're working very closely with psychiatrists as well to help with their education in empowerment and do this sort of cross-referral and we're going to have a psychiatrist working with us in the clinic which will be really useful as well because it has to be a joined up thinking there's not just the menopause in its own and it's just not psychiatry in its own and I know actually when we first met it was somebody who we both know had reached out and was very worried about you actually wasn't she and we first met and I was worried about your mental health I mean I'm a GP I've got a lot of psychiatric experience just with my psychiatry training and I remember speaking to your psychiatrist who is amazing very good and but said he was keen to know how long your menopause would last for in case there was some hormone involvement and I said well it will last as long as she's alive because it's the low hormones will last forever and I think that was a concept he'd not really thought about before and 
I remember saying to him, and I know I said to you when we first met, I have no idea whether hormones are related to your mental health at all. But we do know that there is future benefits for HRT for your bones and your heart, for example. So it's no harm trying and seeing. So you obviously took HRT, but you didn't have this miracle effect after a day of taking it, did you? It's been a slow and steady winning the race, would you say? Yes, I was so fortunate that somebody I knew you know, for a long time did advise me to get in touch. And if it hadn't been for her, I wouldn't be speaking to you now. And I was mm. so fortunate. I can't, you know, it's absolutely changed my life. Mm. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm so grateful for. And what you're doing is just extraordinary. It really is. Yeah, but it's so sad because you're just one person aren't you and we were talking earlier you know how many other people are suffering and some of you might have heard the very emotional but very brave podcast that I did with someone called Pete whose wife Vic sadly did commit suicide and she tried to get help and she was really really struggling and knew that it might be her hormones and we want to prevent as many suicides as possible and you know I look and think a lot about disease prevention for the menopause and obviously we want to reduce osteoporosis we want to reduce heart disease and all these have got mortality associated with them but the mortality from suicide is 100% isn't it so we really got to look at this in a lot I think it's a real urgent priority actually because we have to allow not just psychiatrists but anyone who works in mental health whether it's you know nurses or allied healthcare professionals we see a lot of people who come from crisis or from relate or they've had psychotherapy or counseling or cbt and no one's really been thinking about could it be a hormonal effect so the power of estrogen and often testosterone which again we urgently need to do research on because all the studies have just looked at libido and no disrespect to you, but I'm sure your libido wasn't number one priority when you're thinking about how to kill yourself. No, you're, you know, as anyone experiences those thoughts, you know, you just, you don't care about anything. You're just, that's all you can think of. It's just the only way you can get out, really. You know, you mm. get to the end and you've tried and tried. But as you say, once I started seeing you and taking the gels, it's been quite a long time, but I can honestly say I never expected to be here. I never had any plans for my life because mm. that's what happens. And and now I I wake up and I think I'm alive and there's things I want to do today. And I think I just enjoy things that my psychiatrist noticed, you know, he'd say time and time again, Do you enjoy anything? No. Literally mm. no. But I think the point in that for other women is that if they can, if they get, you know, the message about HRT, they could at least try it, try and learn about it. I think that's very important. You know, I'm not here saying HRT is a cure for depression. Of course I'm not. And I'm not here saying everyone has to have HRT. But I am here saying that it is a hormone or it's a combination of hormones and they can be tailored the dose to each individual and it can be used in conjunction with other treatments as in psychiatric medication 
lifestyle, you know, exercise, nutrition, everything else as well. It's a very holistic thing. But often it is the missing piece of the jigsaw that people have lost that piece of the jigsaw. They're ignoring it. They're in denial about it. And it's almost like it's a shame to consider HRT and it's a failure to think about it. Whereas if someone, I often think about an underactive thyroid gland, you know, if someone had an underactive thyroid gland, they're going to feel slow, they're going to feel sluggish, they might be okay. But actually, why are we doing this? Why are we denying our body of a hormone that metabolically is very active and important in our bodies? And evolutionary, we were not designed to work without our hormones. You know, so it's really important that we think more about why are women not having HRT as opposed to oh should we really give it because we're so worried about it and I think the whole conversation is starting to change but I do think mental health is something that often isn't thought about enough and it's only because I've seen the volume of people that I have and heard the harrowing stories that I do and see the improvement actually with HRT and I know it's not a placebo effect because I don't give it to people who are mentally unwell telling them that I'm going to cure you because that would be so wrong of me absolutely wrong and it's often is a gradual thing it doesn't work overnight but the body has to learn how to adjust and the brain has to learn to adjust with hormones that haven't had for quite a long time but we see a lot of women who aren't clinically depressed they just say things like my zest for life has gone I feel joyless I feel lifeless I I have no joy in my life. I just no spring in my step. And, you know, even a few people have said very little things like, you know, I I found myself singing in the shower the other morning and I didn't, you know, know I had a voice. Or one patient a few years ago said to me that my children said, I can see your teeth, mummy. I didn't know you had teeth because you never normally smile. And it's very little things. But actually, you know, I think a lot about marginalised communities, I think a lot about minority groups. And then there is some studies say that domestic violence increases during the perimenopause and menopause. And domestic violence isn't just about beating someone up. There's this low-level emotional sort of neglect that can occur. And I do think a lot about children growing up in families of women who are menopausal. And, you know, you had your adoring husband. If you were a single mum... You know, I don't even want to think about it. But also, even people who just feel a bit rubbish, you know, not clinically depressed, not as extreme as you were, but they just haven't got that energy and oomph to take the children to the park, to go for a walk, to cook them supper. You know, their default would be just watch telly and I'll get you a takeaway because I'm just so exhausted with everything. And that is actually a form of child, I mean, abuse is a strong word, but it's neglect really isn't it and we know I've got three children goodness you've got four it is hard even if you're feeling mentally brilliant you've got the best support network and everything else but it doesn't take much for us to just think oh I can't do it and some of my children my older two children have persuaded their friends mothers or stepmothers to take HRT and a few of them have come round to the house and said Louise I just want to thank you because I've dreaded going to my stepmother's house every other weekend because she was so vile and it's gone on for years and suddenly she's happy she's taking me out we're going shopping together we've bonded and then she said oh you know I've you know read a book this book by Dr Newson or I've asked Mm. my GP and I've got some HRT and they're just thanking me and I think wow isn't this 
Amazing, actually. So these are teenagers who are scared to go to their stepmother's house. <laughs> That's so awful. It's, it is awful, isn't it? Yeah. And you can't measure that on research. You can't yeah. write a paper about it. But day to day, this is happening a lot. And I do often wonder what women would be like if they all had their hormones back that they needed. Mm. Because I think the world would be a lot different place. And, you know, we, you know, when I was a junior doctor, one of the treatments for heart attacks was to give aspirin and tuck people in bed. You know, we would just started giving the blood thinners, the kinases, uh, and now obviously they do the angioplasties. And it's amazing, you know, how, and stroke as well. We'd never used to admit some patients who'd had a stroke and now it's a medical emergency. And isn't that fantastic that we've got these advances in medicine and, you know, obviously sepsis is massive, so important but we seem to have neglect very basic medicine and I don't know whether it's because it's women and I don't know whether it's because it's all women so therefore any treatment is going to be expensive because it's multiplied by 13 million menopausal women that we have in the UK I'm not quite sure why there's so much neglect for us because surely as women aren't we quite productive when we're well aren't we able to give back to society more when we're well and mm. you know not draining the resources of healthcare i know you said you've got private health insurance but if you were on the nhs how much would your hospital admissions and your various appointments have cost and your lost productivity to society yes i think we hear about it you know so much now which is fantastic but i think you know, I think we compare ourselves as mothers to other mothers around us. And, you know, we're all trying to do our best. But, you know, we do compare and think, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough as a mother. And I'm sure as it's, you know, people at work, they almost more capable people think, why is this happening to me? I've just got to get on. Mm. But as you say, if we had had that help, we would be more effective yes. at home or at work. And mm. almost it wouldn't get to the stage that, you know, I think I've been surprised by my, some of my friends who maybe don't understand or just think the whole talk of periods and menopause is too much. Mm. And, you know, I think you have to look at everybody in their situation and just be kind and just see, you know, if there's anything possibly we could do. But for a long time, I've suffered. And mm. now that I can speak properly and speak up, all I want to do really is, well, I worry, worry every day probably about, you know, women who maybe can't afford, I mean, there's millions yes. probably who can't yeah. afford the care that I've yeah. had. Yeah. And I feel guilty, yeah. you know, that I... I sit here and I feel well. I totally agree. And, you know, I have, there's a lot of misconceptions about my work because it's a private clinic and I feel very embarrassed at being a private clinic, but I can't get a job in the NHS. I can't set up an NHS menopause clinic. There's no funding for it. So what I've decided to do is be very philanthropic with my work and give as much as we can to education and research. And we're doing a lot of work to try and help reach other groups and try and get our prices down, trying to educate more nurses, pharmacists, trying to give back a lot to the NHS because it's really, really important that we reach as many people as possible. And and there's lot as as many women as possible know that it's an option. And I think this is really important what you were saying. 
is about, and I often do it in the clinic, have a trial of HRT. Mm. You know, it's not a wonder drug. It's not a sort of fancy new drug. It's just hormones. But it's completely reversible. So if anyone decides they don't want to take it, they just stop it. I'm not giving anyone an injection or an implant or something. I'm not giving them an operation. (laughs) So it's very easy as a woman to be in control. And I think that's what's really important as well. And that then women feel really empowered with what they're doing. And they're also sharing that decision making. But it's very difficult when people are mentally ill, you know, to actually Mm -hmm. be able to know and understand all the information. And so often that's really important that women and their partners, their families, their loved ones, other people are involved as well as much as possible. But knowing that decisions are are reversible is really important. But the other thing is we're doing a lot of work looking at the sort of polypharmacy that's going on. The Lots of people we see, and we know certainly from disadvantaged groups, a lot of women from no, low socioeconomic classes are on more medications. And we see a lot of people who are on antidepressants, they're on painkillers, they've had urinary tract infections, so they're on antibiotics. They're on painkillers for their muscle joint pains. They're sometimes on heart drugs for their palpitations or blood pressure lowering drugs. They're on statins as well to lower cholesterol. And a lot of these drugs have side effects, especially some of the stronger painkillers. Some of the antidepressants switch off hormones in the brain as well. So if you're not menopausal before, you will be after some of the heavy duty antidepressants. And then no one's thinking about their hormones. And we often find when we give people HRT, one by one, they can reduce their medication, which is just liberating. And it's really important as a doctor, we're not just layering on more and more drugs, which is sadly what is happening. And so having someone, and I think this is why I'm selling myself, I suppose, as a GP and a physician, that we do have skills to be able to look very holistically at people, whether it's they've got a mental health issue or cardiac issue or something else going on and we can work out which medication they really do and more importantly don't need and I think that's really important as we age we don't want to be rattling around do we we want to have as few medications as possible but we want our health to be optimal as well so we can reduce future disease and future drain on health services as well of course yes absolutely I remember trying you know packets and packets of paracetamol, sleeping tablets, just to try and get away. And I remember that when I was with the two good weeks I had during my periods and the two bad weeks before. And, you know, it's a long time. And Mm. my psychiatrist could see that so clearly. But Mm. he's interested in this link. And he, you know, he finds it difficult to understand it too. But as you say, if somebody around you can guide you to some sort of care and, you know, as you say, if a doctor has, I suppose it's the time in the NHS to actually look at what might be the underlying problem rather than just prescribing all sorts of other things that may not actually be the main problem. It's very easy, I think, for doctors to maybe want to do some a quick fix and dish out and the cost of all that on the NHS as you say the cost of people being in hospital you know it must be extraordinary I've no idea I'm just a normal person but 
You're not normal. Yeah. You're very special. But, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's the financial cost and the personal cost and the society cost as well, actually, from losing key individuals. So there's a huge amount that we need to do. But having this conversation is really good. And I'm sure it's very helpful for a lot of people. And, you know, for me, it's wonderful to hear and see you so much better. And, you know, just for you to be able to look forward to your life and, you know, have interest is just wonderful. So but before we end, Vanessa, I would really like we always do these three take home tips on putting you on the spot. But just if you wouldn't mind just three tips to women who might have listened and think, oh, yeah, what do I do? How can I get heard really it's about being listened to so how would you suggest women really try and get the most out of the healthcare system to be listened to mm, that's difficult <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> I think the main thing that I would say is you may not be well enough mentally to go and ask for help but if you can talk to your GP and now I would mention your name and suggest there's so much information that you're providing. I don't know how you have the energy to do, you know, everything that you do. So I think that's the message I'd really like to get across. Mm-hmm. And just look at other things that you're doing, other medication that you may be taking and not just accepting that. And I suppose maybe, you know, I'm surrounded by very well-educated people and between my friends there's very mixed feelings about it and Mm. I think we have to sort of challenge those thoughts and maybe negative attitudes that go along with certainly mental health and also hormones but you know I think if you are depressed you develop so many ways of coping and then all sorts of strategies to hide yourself and you know appear normal And uh, I think we do this as women, we compare ourselves and it's very sad. Yes. So I think being focused on yourself, which is quite hard actually when we're we're all sort of busy and giving and just allowing ourselves to have the information that's right for us and the treatment that feels right for us as well. And it might take a little while and involve others as well is really important too, isn't it? Mm. So thank you so much. I know it's been difficult, but it's been really lovely sharing a very sad but happy ending story. So thanks so, so much, Vanessa. Not at all. Thank you. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website, balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app, which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play. Music